Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our first episode, uh, Confessions of a Rock and Roll Zelig. Uh, my name is Holly Cork. I'm excited to be with you guys today and to do our very first episode. I am joined by my other co-host, uh, who's also my dad, Del Breckenfeld. Um, this podcast was really his his brainchild and idea and we've been talking about it for a long time now um and we're finally just doing it today we decided to just get it started so without further ado um hi dad welcome hi holly <laughs> and by the way you deserve some of the credit because last uh june i don't know about that yeah uh, well no last june <laughs> we did a family road trip with your sister Shanna and you and I, which we hadn't done since you were kids. And uh, we listened to podcasts and you kept going, dad, what are you interested in? Well, kind of interested in everything, but you found <laughs> some really fascinating podcasts and some were funny and entertaining. Some, most of them were very good because the host had something to say, you know, they were involved yeah. or engaged in it. And so I have to give you part of the credit. And when you said, we could do this. <laughs> we could. We'll give it yeah. a shot. You know? we, could, we have things to say. We have stuff to talk I guess, about. I guess. Um, so without that, let's jump in. Why are we doing this podcast? Why is it called Confessions of a Rock and Roll Selig? Why did you want to do this? I mean, I'm curious to hear that too, you know, and your reasons. Um, and I'm here mostly just for uh comedy support that's that's pretty much it no i'm just kidding <laughs> which um, we know that very well holly or like you're the comedies uh, i don't know i think i'm funny that you know well, so that's all that matters um <laughs> but, but yeah like, that's a good point because I've had friends go, when I refer to myself as a zealot, and friends go, well, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what it is. And of course, mm -hmm. it's a kind of a obscure word. And um, Woody Allen made it famous. But the word zealot really goes much further. Um, when I thought of zealot, I looked it up and I thought, well, it's got to be more than just some guy showing up in a film somewhere. So zealot is a person who's blessed. And the reason I felt I was blessed, and I'm not being overly humble or over, you know, wave the flag, but when I was, um, I was really drifting way before you knew me, uh, I was the most uncool kid in school by far. And I was pretty good in sports, I but I, I was that. never going to make a life out of sports, even though I loved it. And the first date, uh, I should say, wasn't even a date. The first time I was invited to a girl's party, I brought my baseball mitt, you know, thinking, why well, bring it everywhere? You know, my security blanket. And she goes, we're not playing baseball. We're going to dance. And I'm like, oh, music. Well, that's kind of cool. Because my parents listen to music all the time. But it wasn't until my mom was with the bridge girls and one of them was going to throw this guitar out because her son wasn't interested. She goes, I'll give it to anyone here. And my mom is like your grandmother. My mother's like, uh, I, I think my son Dell might be interested in music. He seems to like it, but I'm going to give you $5 for it because I don't want you to throw it in the garbage and I take it out of the garbage and give it to my son. And that was the first moment that was like, oh, here it is. The bridge to whatever I was going to do. It was that guitar. Couldn't play it, but just holding it and getting that sound of, you know, the warmth that was an acoustic and um, so that's where I was blessed. If my parents had given me that opportunity, I don't know where I would be. And my determination at age 14 was to 
be in music, whatever it was, the rest of my life, whether it was professional, whether it was on the outskirts, looking in, I had to do something in the music business. And, um, and as I told you and your sister, Shanna, if it was easy, everybody would do it because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of exciting. Oh, hey, entertainment. So that's the first part of being blessed. And that's been blessed my life. I'm still in the business. Never really had any other jobs. But in reality, it's always been music ever since high school. Uh, the second part of it is a zealot is someone who's who, who doesn't know what they're going to get themselves into, but in a good way that they end up in places that they hadn't planned. They end up, they don't have that roadmap to go, oh, I want to go here. It just seems to happen to them. And that's part of the blessed thing. But the third part of it was they're always prepared when that moment happens somehow. And you can't study for it. You can't read books on it. But that is really what a zealot is. When they end up in that situation, they're kind of prepared because they want to make the most of it. So and that's what I get why I want to call it the rock and roll zealot. And my whole life has been in rock and roll, right? Yeah. And your concern, I'm going to ask a question for you, but you're uh, like, well, the, yeah, we it can't just be about music and guitars, right? <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I just, you know, when you and I first started talking about this, I just wanted to really understand the why, like, why, why should we do this? What do we have to offer the world, you know, really with all the other podcasts out there and entertainment podcasts, what would set us apart? And I was just more curious about that. So I know that I got you kind of thinking on that as well and really going into the why, why we wanted to do this podcast. Right. Yeah. And, and then you did assure me that it was not all just music and guitars, though. Don't get me wrong. Music and guitars are super cool. They're a huge part of my life as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, I think you and I both wanted to have, you know, something that could span multiple genres of yep. the fields and everything. And, you know, really a story for everyone out there. Um, so, yeah. Well, there so, will be stuff for guitar as we call them, the geeks, which I yeah. am one of, you know. Yes, you are. Uh, and that's in a good. That's a very positive turn, <laughs> uh, turn to use. But we love um, our music geeks out there. Yeah, yeah but shout I, out you know, to you guys. I, I'll give you a great example because I read, I love autobiographies. I love biographies, and not just music, but entertainment, sports. And I put myself in the place of that person writing it. So if you read the story of Brian Epstein managing the Beatles or, you know, George Martin, who I have some great George, a great George Martin story, I think, um, Sir George Martin, um, they would talk about the internal working. So that was in the studio and that's fascinating. But Keith Richards wrote a book called Life, which is my favorite book of all time. And the reason he wrote it is he said, well, everybody thinks of Keith Richards. When you say Keith Richards, you think of the guy walking down the street all pissed off because the, the, the liquor store is not open yet. And he goes, and that is me. <laughs> and he goes, but there's so much more to what I want to say. And he's really a fascinating individual. I did get to meet him. I do have a, a story about the stones, a couple of them, but more importantly in his book, a lot of artists, when we were growing up, we'd watch the Ed Sullivan show trying to figure out what are the chords they're playing, whatever group it was, the Beatles, of course, the Stones and the Kinks, all these great bands that he had on. And we could never figure out how what Keith was doing because we couldn't, it didn't sound the same. Well, we find out later on that he had a tuning that he did that was the Keith Richards tuning. So in the book, 
he talks about the secret of the tuning if you didn't know it but he said if you're not a guitar player you could skip this part right <laughs> so and which is really good because if you're not but for guitar players like, oh my god now it's so easy everything sounds like keith when you tune it i'm reading little stephen fansant's book right now this uh, about not just springsteen but about his political activism growing up he and i are about the same age and he has that in the book when he gets into the technical part of the studio he goes well if you're not interested in this skip it so I think we want to talk about the things, my experiences, which I'm still humbled by the places I end up with, it ended up with my years, not only in music playing, but also in marketing. I was 20 years uh, director of entertainment marketing for Fender. Well, yeah. that world was not just music. That was film. Well, you wrote, you wrote a book on marketing, right, Dad? Thank you very much. That's a great yeah. plug. And sometimes a podcast can be a plug. <laughs> well, I we'll have a few. The cool factor. Thank you. Well, the cool Wiley, factor. Is, they also do the, the dummies books, by the way. <laughs> so that, but this one was really for marketing the cool factor on what is cool and how you can connect. A brand has equity. It was about marketing and branding, but it really came from the music industry. It became, you know, a brand is interesting. When you talk about artists, there's so many great artists that I worked with that were technically wonderful musicians, but they didn't have that other thing. On the flip side, there were artists that didn't quite have the talent, but they had the other thing they knew about branding, you know, mm -hmm. and even the Rolling Stones today, Mick Jagger knows everything in the world about branding. You know, he goes to Nashville, the, the shows are sold out. There's nothing else he can do. What does he do? He goes to a bar with a baseball hat and that becomes viral around the world oh yeah and then yeah. paul mccartney goes who also knows marketing goes oh well they're just a glorified blues band and then <laughs> that creates a whole thing and pete townsend jumps in the middle <laughs> they all want that what we say real estate you know they want to be part of that yeah. but those guys uh, not just those guys but you know beyonce is wonderful at that adele is certainly spectacular at figuring out how do you keep people interested and yeah. that, that was what the cool factor was. You know, what is that thing that my publisher's like, I like everything about the book, but the name. And I go, why? And he goes, well, how can you describe the cool factor? And I go, you know it when you see it. And he goes, I love that name. <laughs> Where so, can people buy that book, dad? Anywhere? Right now on Amazon, but I, don't, Amazon? I think it's weird because it's a marketing book. And I saw on Amazon that they want $332 on it. <laughs> for, which is like, I wish I would have known that I'd be selling it. <laughs> yeah. Wait a uh, second. No, We're starting the wrong it. business here. No, it's been out a while. It's not a, my publishers like really would like an Oprah book club type of book, <laughs> not just marketing. So my next one is going to be more of the Zelda. Well, know. let's, let, let's jump into that. So, um, you know, people have been listening to us talk the past few minutes and let's go backwards a little bit. So who, you know, we talked a little bit about the name of the podcast and why we want to do this podcast. Now I'd like to go to your background and a little bit who you are, um, why, you know, maybe, yeah, just a little bit about your background and your experience that kind of brought you up to this moment. And again, kind of going with the, why, why are we even doing this? Why are we talking to you? Wonderful people out there right now. Um, but tell, why don't you give everyone a little bit about who you are, Dan? Yeah, well, when I started, um, when I got that guitar, and that made me want to become a musician, I was very fortunate because in high school, my band got pretty good. And we ended up playing a lot of 
sock hops, the, the baby boomers oh. doesn't have to know what a sock hop is. Poodle, poodle and, skirts galore. Yeah, you got to take your shoes off. It's the gym. But we also, my first year, I went to Notre Dame High School, uh, which was a boys' school, and it was they had a great jazz band. But I wasn't. I I liked jazz later on, but at the time, I, I just was rock and roll. It was seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. That was the big bang, and that was divine intervention. Being a Catholic boy, they always talked about divine intervention, and that was it for me. There were these guys. Next day, everybody's trying to comb their hair down, you know. And I had a dear friend down the block, Joe Desario, that was really a great guitar player, and we made a duo. And we and because we couldn't really sing, we didn't even have microphones. We played surf music, and that was really popular. So all of a sudden, the older kids in the neighborhood would invite us to their parties, and we would hang out with the older kids, and we were cool. And we actually made fifteen dollars a show each, which was better than cutting lawns for you know two fifty or whatever we did, which allowed us to buy guitars and buy records and stuff. So anyway, that was the early the the young Dell. As I got older. Mm -hmm. Uh, my, my parents wanted me to go to college and this was during the Vietnam War. So you, I didn't even think my friends and I, we, we, we didn't even know how serious it was getting at that time and that you could get a student deferment. But that's not why I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to school because my parents promised me a cool car because I was driving to gigs in my dad's Buick and I fit my, fit my gear in the car. Hey, whatever we need was, is motivation. That's fine. Right. Right. And my mom was, <laughs> and my mom and dad were like, yeah, Mr. Rockstar, we know you're a rockstar, but you can't even drive. <laughs> you don't even have a car to get the gig. So I said, well, I want a cool car. And they go, you get into college. And I got a scholarship for music because the only thing I really knew and that I felt that I was qualified was music. And, uh, and so that opened that door. And it also kept me out of Vietnam. It was a very sad time for a lot of us, and particularly seeing these young men coming back from the war that were you know, wounded in many ways, just not physically wounded. And I lost two friends yeah. that in high school used to pick on me. They were just like Lenny and Squiggy. You know, when I saw, when I saw the, uh, uh, you know, what was it, Happy Days and then the offshoot, Laverne and Shirley I'm like that's the two guys that would pick on me but they were funny guys they knocked the books out of my hand and joke around they wore the black leather jackets and you know anyway they died within two weeks of each other in Vietnam and it was very shocking Aww. so not to be down about that but that permeated everything that we did yeah. at that time but I did get a scholarship I started to learn about jazz and it opened my world I learned about classical music how to listen to music and um, I actually, when I graduated, I worked for a music store for my best friend and guitar player, Joe Desario, driving a delivery truck for a music store. That was the only job. But I did get hired as a teacher and I was ready to make my life's work teaching music. And I had young bands kind of like the School of Rock World, except a small, you know, music store. Well, pretty big music store, actually, right? Used to get equipment before I worked there. Anyway, um, and then my band started playing more, getting more serious. We got to open for Muddy Waters because blues was really wow. big. We're in Chicago. A guy named Steve Goodman, who wrote Go Cubs Go, uh, was a dear friend of mine, taught me a lot about blues. He goes, yeah, you like the Stones and the Yardbirds, but blues is right here in Chicago. I mean, you can see Muddy Waters, you know, and he really opened up a lot of doors uh, for me in that world. So it was a lifelong of learning listening and being committed to music. Well, then when my band, we signed a major deal with Capitol Records, we toured, we played for big 
uh, pretty big shows. A lot of the Chicago bands helped us, Cheap Trick, Ario Speedwagon, Sticks. In fact, the night we got a record deal, we had been opening for Sticks for about 10,000 people and we found out that they had made an offer. Uh, what for, band, What was yeah. the band's name? What was this band's we, we name? We called Buster at that time. Right. This is very spinal tash. You know, there, <laughs> there was an originals and squat me, but then we became the new originals. But there was a group in England <laughs> called Buster. And, uh, and actually we were known at that because we played uh, uh, WKQX, which is the radio station, rock station at the time. They had an unsigned band record and we got on it as Buster. And then we played the hometown concert and uh, the, our, the story in the newspaper, the Chicago Sun-Times the next day was Buster Breaks Out Big at Hometown Concert. And it was us and how no other band could touch us. And Ooh. a great writer named Cynthia Dagnell, uh, she's still writing, um, really felt inspired to write about us. And that's when the labels, back in that day, okay, ancient times, no streaming. You know, you had to read, when you recorded music, no Pro Tools, no Garage mm -hmm. Band. You had to go in the studio, you know, and we- Back in the our, day. Back in the day. <laughs> but you really had to be good to get noticed because you needed yeah. to make the label. And then you go on tour. Ario Speedwagon, when I saw Kevin Cronin at a charity event, I said, hey, I just want to tell you, uh, you know, we opened for you, Gambler at Alpine Valley, Wisconsin. He goes, yeah, it was 24,000 people a night. I mean, he remembered that date, not Gambler, but it was like the biggest show of the year. And here we're the opening band. They treated us just so well. So that was my entry. After that, I realized that to have a family and it wasn't a sacrifice. It's just touring was up and down the record industry. Uh, we, I figured I'd be better off than some other. As I got approaching 30, I'm like, maybe I should do something else. And uh, so I worked for Dean Guitars. I, uh, Wait, did Buster, but I don't want to skip over, Buster oh. then changed its name at some point. Yeah, right? we had to because there was a Buster in England and we right. couldn't release our record. We were actually with Capital EMI, which was the Beatles label, which was very exciting for us. And they said, oh, there's a Buster in England. You can't record, I mean, release your records in England under name Buster. And so we came up with Gambler. And a funny story okay, about Gambler. that, when we were on right. tour. Look them up, everyone. It, Sorry. Yeah. It, it was, I, when we were on tour, we had, we had, we weren't getting any, like in each city, the, sometimes the promotion people, I'm going to reference Spinal Tap a lot, but like there's okay. too much promotion, you know, like we were at some record store and this kid comes up and he goes, how much is the Zeppelin album? And I'm like, oh, we're not here, you know, to, we're not, we don't work here. We're signing, we're behind, <laughs> they had no place to put us. We're behind the counter in this little record store, but you want to promote your record. And, uh, and I, he said, what are you? And I said, well, I'm in a band called Gambler. And he said, I never heard of you. And I said, okay, Zeppelin's five bucks. I didn't hear, you know, <laughs> it was really embarrassing, but perspective. So we're up, we're on the East Coast, uh, West Coast. I'm sorry. We started in Spokane, Seattle. I'll never forget this. Eugene, Oregon, where they were playing our record. Wow. It was great because, and that's a college town. So the guys in the band, we're not getting any promotion at all. You know, we can't get posters. We had this great album cover. And um, so I called the record label and the promotion guy goes, he goes, yeah, so when is your record coming out? And I'm like, it's been out for three weeks. We're on tour promoting it because that's how you did it back then, right? You sold more records. Very different from today, which we'll get into eventually. Right, yeah. and he goes, what's the name of your band? And I go, Gambler. He goes, Gambler, let me look at, let me, you know, look at the paperwork. He goes, Whoa, number one. <laughs> And I'm going, come, oh, what do you mean we're number one? And he says, 
get to the number one record. And I'm going, this is phenomenal. What did I tell the guys? And I said, but before he goes, what can I do? What can I send you? And I said, well, uh, posters to get started. No problem. How many do you need? And I go, well, you know, 200 maybe so we can sign them. And he goes, I'll send you 600, you know, whatever, you know, oh, great. Okay. So I go back. I'm so excited. I go, I can't believe I go tell the guys. And he's so oh, reading what I'm sent. And I go, it was like a Motel 6, you know, and he goes, you guys are staying in a Motel 6? Like, yeah, the label's paying for it, right? The band's like, I don't believe it. And I go, I swear to God, we're getting the posters. Next morning, get a delivery, knock on the door. Here they are, bad posters. We tear it open. It's Kenny Rogers, the gambler, because... <laughs> They own the label that Kenny Rogers was on. Oh my gosh. And that's a true story. And uh oh, okay. So gambler everyone. Night, yeah. The, the band that night would not even like not only did they not acknowledge me, but I was in the corner on one side, the band was on the other, every time looking up at me, like, okay, the gambler, right? The gambler. <laughs> the gambler. Anyway. So oh, but we did well, you know, we did well and we got some notoriety, but then I met Dean, Dean was endorsing our band. And, uh, and so then the Dean asked me to come and work for him and I did. And, and that was a wonderful time. And we were a small company, but some huge breakthroughs, which we can get into, but Dimebag Daryl, a good example, yeah. uh, ZZ Top, the very first in the beginning of MTV, we were there. R.I.P. Dime, by the way. R.I.P. Dime. Okay. Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, the spinning fur guitars, which I glued the fur on and work with the car company later who did the eliminator. And Billy helped us a lot. We were a small company. Budweiser, getting up to the point with Budweiser and Rolling Stones. That's another long story, but a good one, I think. And um, and then I and then Dean sold the company to a big corporation, which happens a lot. Independent companies in the 80s were dominating MTV because they were doing really cool things like Kramer with Eddie Van Halen and on and on. And I, everyone, really quick, I just want to interject. Uh, I want everyone, I, so I was born at this time or maybe a shortly after that. I, I do have a sister. I have one sister. She's older, five years older, Shanna and Shanna. Um, but I, as my dad is telling me stories, this is, you know, this is also my child, my childhood. So I literally remember growing up in the warehouses, the warehouse of Dean guitars. It was in a building that I very specifically remember had a teddy, a teddy bear company underneath it. <laughs> so you would take us down if we were like stuck at work with you for hours you would like eventually take us down to this like teddy bear warehouse. I think I remember that, but I also remember just like having a blast just with boxes and like, what are those things called? The box, I don't know, box Pallet. holder, but well, yeah, something like that where I would just like stand on there and then like people at Dean that would work there, maybe it was you would like whip us around. Like this was our childhood growing up in a guitar factory, you know? So I remember those days fondly. It was, I was very young at the time, but I do remember them. So oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And I was downtown. Our, yeah. our factory was, I mean, and we were downtown uh, in a very expensive area, not far from where your sister lives right now. Um, but yeah, so Dean, I'm just talking about the stepping stones, no real details, but then I got, I got, was going to get out of the business and uh, a guy named Greg Bennett, uh, who had his own guitar line and sadly passed away a few years ago, one of my, another dear friend, as you get older, you start losing 
a lot of them, you know, and I, but my memories of Greg, he gave me a chance. He, I was doing construction or something and I was happy. I was making money and I kind of, the music business was always up and down. And then uh, I went to NAMM show. Another company hired me just for the one drill. And Greg goes, I didn't know you want to, I need a marketing guy. Come on, you know? And so he hired me at Washburn, Dimebag Daryl. Great story how Dime came with me. Uh, but we had a young guy named Nuno Bentoncourt, which and it was one of the greatest guitar players that you could ever imagine. We love and, you, Nuno. And Nuno was my guy, <laughs> although more than words was a ballad. But but when they were touring with Van Halen, I went on tour with them and I was doing the band extreme. So, yeah, you know, and Nuno would do the in-store. So did Dimebag, by the way. I didn't tour with them, but Dimebag was great. And doing in-stores, we call clinics, where they'd go in and talk about their signature guitar. Yeah. They had their name on the guitar. Uh, but um but they never played. They just screwed around because they, everybody wanted to meet them. And it was bigger than just the guitar business. Um, and also uh, guys like Michael Badio who were ambidextrous. And there's a book on um, the 80s rock. And he's on the cover with his double neck guitar that we did for him at Dean and Washburn. And Tyler Bates was another one who is now one of the foremost. Uh, uh, we used to manage him, Dean and I. He's one of the foremost uh, composers mm -hmm. he did Gardens of the Galaxy. He does all the Disney stuff. And I used to manage him and he doesn't need me anymore. But if I manage <laughs> him now, <laughs> yeah. anyway, uh, hey, but Tyler. The point was all these, I was there when all these young artists were starting out and going on tour and learning a lot on the way. But I was the Zelig. I, you know, Nuno took me on tour and I was his promo guy. And then from then, uh, I ended up, they brought in Washburn, the corporate story, bringing in the corporate side, didn't fit in. And I left. And six weeks later, I was working at Fender, you know, and a lot of people thought that I belonged at Fender, but the guy that I replaced actually had passed away. And I didn't feel right. I knew who he was. I didn't really know him, but calling Fender and going, hey, I, your guy died. I'm available. But, uh, but through uh, Cheryl Crow, actually, her management and label recommended me and that's how I got the job. So for 20 years, I was at Fender. In 2015, the reoccurring theme, Fender gets bought out. They don't wanna do what I did, which was licensing and everything from Charlie Sheen to Hendrix. And uh, they didn't see a need for it. And so I left and I started my company Amplify, which is current. And on the film side, one of the biggest things we had was Bohemian Rhapsody. We did all the research, which is I done had done for Fender. I did for Bohemian Rhapsody, not just for amazing Fender. movie, guys. If you haven't seen that yet, please make sure you go and see it. I I had been wanting to, and it kind of just one of those things. I never got around to it, and I never got the chance. And then I think recently, Dad, on one of your trips out here, I think you finally were like, "Will you just put the movie on? You just have to watch it. Yeah. We're watching it. Give it a chance, Holly. Give it a, Give it a chance." And I knew. I mean, I knew I was gonna love it, but um, we did. I finally just a few months ago we sat down and watched the whole thing, and it was a, a brilliant beautiful movie on on queen so yeah nice, yeah and i, nice I mean we up. were a really important part of that because we researched it and you know i did walk the line there's an exhibit at the cash museum that we put in on the how the product was developed working with elvis's guitar player who uh, scotty moore was alive at the time and researching everything for johnny cast through the archives and we had a little museum exhibit on cash out uh, here with fender that i helped put together um, which became the Cash Museum when Fender sold the company. But more importantly, the research was every little detail. So if you're not a guitar player, you won't care about this. But if you are a guitar player, even the pickups in Brian May's guitar 
are authentic. They're Burns pickups. <laughs> and I contacted the Burns company and we recreated. You can't use the original guitars because they're if they got damaged. And you can't use really old guitars. Uh, the, uh, Inglorious Bastards, they smashed uh, a prop was supposed to be a pre-war Martin, pre-Civil War. And they accidentally mm. smashed it on the set and that's irreplaceable. They're so rare. Ooh. So in our industry, even the insurance companies, you know, I don't even know what it was worth. So what we do is we make replicas, but they're replicas to the nth degree, every little detail, you know, even a case that comes in. So that's what I do with Amplify. We still work with the Hendrix estate. We work with the Steve Ray Vaughan estate. Um, we're working on a lot of modern things, you know, NFTs and that world art. Um, so I'll leave it at that, but that's why my life went through these changes, but it was always going forward. It was always like Keith Richards goes, I'm not getting, first of all, Keith Richards goes, um, you know, I don't like getting older, but the, the alternative is much worse. <laughs> and the second thing he says, I'm not getting older, I'm evolving. You know, you always need to evolve. So uh, the Zelig part of me, once again, how did I get into sports? through these companies? How did I get into two and a half men and getting Eddie Van Halen a cameo? You know, on and on these crazy, what I think are crazy stories, but they're not what a book would do. It's not a expose or the behind the scenes because, oh, this guy did this great thing and everything. That could be part of it. It's what these people were like. You know, Richie Sambor from Bon Jovi doing an animal rescue with me because I asked him to do an animal rescue, you know? And things like that, when you find out what artists do, their publicists don't, for the most part, don't do that. Um, not every artist is into selling their music. They wanna be heard, but a lot of artists I've worked with, they have other passion. You know, it's not just the music. And that led me to, as I mentioned, things like sports. Uh, movies were a big part of what I did, particularly with, with Fender. Working with Tom Hanks, he gave me my start. Those Tom Hanks stories are fascinating to find out what this guy was like. It's not an actor talking about, it's not a producer. It's me, the Zelig. And there's even a picture on my website of the Zelig devil shaking his hand, you know, because uh, he wanted to do that thing you do. He wanted it authentic. And that's what Love I Love that movie. Doing. Also another amazing music so movie. So those are the stories, I think, Holly, to for our audience, whoever they may be, might be just you and me, hopefully not. I think it'll be more. Uh, and a few other, a few other people. people. We appreciate it. And that. I will also say you can contribute, Holly, because you can't discount that what you've done with School of Rock. And I just sent you the book um, by Harvey Kubernick uh, on Hendrix called Voodoo Child. And my history is seeing Jimi Hendrix when he first came to Chicago, but also working with the Hendrix estate, which I still do today. And you're in the book. In fact, you're the ending of the book talking about when he asked me, well, what are young, you know, what do you see in, you know, the next generation with Hendrix? And I talk about you with School of Rock when I'd asked you, well, what are, who's one of the top guitar players? And you're like, oh, Jimi Hendrix is probably right up there. Queen because of Bohemian Rhapsody at the time. And I said, Holly, aren't there any younger artists? And you go, yeah, well, the Foo Fighters and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm like, they're young to me, but you know, <laughs> Dave Grohl's, you know. Well, I think we said white stripes, Jack, you know, Jack White. Yeah, you can say, get, yeah, but he's, how old is Jack I know, White? I know, I know. He's I not. Know, I know. Well, I'm getting, I, look at, I'm almost 40 now too. So these bands <laughs> I thought yeah. were young, they're also, yeah, much older as well. I'm, but I'm, we know the beauty of vinyl 
The, yes. There was a story in the LA Times. It is alive that, and well. It's alive and well, and it's two-year wait. And the back orders are over two years. And if they count wow. all the back orders, it's probably five-year wait to get something mastered. And therefore, CDs are coming back, believe it or not. I just read on Rolling Stone. So it's sick. I knew I saved them for a reason. I knew I saved all my CDs for a reason. I know. People, oh, they have no value, you know, but they do again. <laughs> so all it is, is music is, um, I got to interview Clive Davis and that was such an honor for me. He's a tough guy, but an honor for me to work with him. And I, I did a, a, for the LA film school and recording school, I did a seminar that was streamed and we had a, con we had it at the uh, Arclight Cinema. It was huge. Uh, oh, actually across from Arclight. It was in his, um, in their auditorium and it was great. And I got to ask him questions. And uh, we asked questions from the students, but I kind of put together a thing on a phenomenal story. And he had his uh, documentary, The Soundtrack of Our Lives. And he really, you know, when you think of what he did, uh, you know, in, in his life's work, which was amazing, starting with Janis Joplin when he was a lawyer for Columbia, you know, uh, and working his way up, Whitney Houston and on and on how he keep rediscovering himself he's, he's health is i understand not as good as it used to be but he's 87 and he's still doing it the soundtrack to your lives is true everybody remembers something whether it's in a movie song whether it was a hit song whether it was your first date when it was a breakup that's what music is it is that soundtrack and i think that it permeates everything we do there isn't anyone in the world that doesn't love music you know you could be uh, a, a, a remote remote part of the world and there's tribal music yeah, you know and that's absolutely. how they communicate so we're never going to change that it's always in our it's going to be in our dna as a human being and therefore it's of interest to everyone and you can't cover it you can't say well i like everything i listen to everything people have what they like but you know what their tastes are a lot more than people think when i was a kid radio station would go don't touch that dial you know when you went to the commercial like oh i only listen to the same 10 songs over and over again <laughs> on the rock stations are probably were only that but the but nobody's you know when you you know you look at people's ipods in the old day and and they had everything on there and you ask people what they like now and they just don't do it to say oh well i like it because i like a variety of music people really do like a variety of music i mean i'm in yeah. business my life and i'm I'm, I'm surprised, but not overly surprised that that's the way the world is. So, and so if music goes through film, if it goes through sports, you know, in baseball, when I baseball, every batter's got a walk-up song, you know what I mean? For the Dodgers, it was Hotel California, right? It was, you know, great. Well, I've worked with Don Felder. I've done a lot of charity events. He wrote that song. And so the connection, that thread is more than just, oh yeah, I know that guy who's in the music business. You can also connect it to the real life, you know, the world that I, that I see. So I've been blessed. I'm the Zelig and that's the story. <laughs> and that's the story. And he that's a is 360 view, it. as we say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is, this is great. So we, you know, this is, we just wanted to at least get the first episode down, say hello to everyone, introduce ourselves. I'm really introduced, you know, my dad, Del Breckenfeld. Um, and we are so excited to start doing this. So I'm not sure, you know, how I, I have to, I have to give some props to my husband uh, for kind of helping us do more research into podcasts and the best way to do it and the best uh, way to upload them and stuff. So again, this is all new to us. So 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we will learn a lot more as we go on the way. Um, but so I'm with that also, and we're not sure how often we're going to upload new episodes. You know, we hope to make this a somewhat regular thing. Um, but yeah, this one was really just kind of jump us jumping in and, and getting started and doing an intro of, you know, my dad and his background, um, and really why this is, again, we'll just reiterate, you know, while this is a music and entertainment business in a way, the background at least is, um, it, this podcast hopefully should and, and will be for everyone, right? I think that's our goal is to be able to Absolutely. tell stories that anyone can relate to or, you know, find interesting and yeah. Well, and, and Holly, I'll just add to this, you know, we have a thing called a teaser, you know, like don't touch that dial. So in future episodes, I, as we're talking and you're, you know, it's not just about me, you asked it to be about me this time, but there are a lot of great stories that include you, like for instance, how Norwegian singers in one band get rid of their competition. That would be a pretty good story that I checked with okay. you. You told me uh, maybe okay. it's a favorite story, but he's yeah, talking but, about Norwegian black metal. Everyone, yeah, I happen to be a metalhead. Um, I look and, to you and Andy for that. For your both you and Andy are, We're are big metal so heads. into that world, and it goes even further back for you and D, DUI, uh, DUI, uh, DWI bands, DUI bands too. Uh, <laughs> but um, but also, you know, interesting stories can be, you know. Eddie Van, me getting Eddie Van Halen and his son in the hockey games because he wanted to learn about hockey. And there's nobody would think Eddie Van Halen, you know, bless him, <laughs> was this had to learn about hockey. I had to go to his house and talk about icing. But anyway, that's a that's a story. Stone's food, which was not what you think it is. Uh, it, being with the uh, Rolling Stones in the recording studio, those stories. Once again, anyone can tell the story if you're the engineer but no one can tell the story of Stone's food. I guarantee you they cannot tell that story. So we are going to touch on those things and, uh, and just such a wide range of what the music, you know, what the, our love of music, our, our collective love of music, how people can relate to that and how everybody, no matter who they are, we used to have people come to me, an actor, a very famous actor, Steven Seagal, not as famous as he used to be, but at the time he was number one. And he go, I go, what are you looking for? You want to be a guitar player. A lot of sports guys want to do it for fun. And we, we were fine with that. We called them civilian guitar players. And he mm -hmm. goes, I want a guitar that makes me sound like Hendrix. And I go, you and two million other guitar players. Yeah. And that's the magic. Well, good. Well, I'm so excited. I, uh, yeah, like I said, we've been talking about this for a while and we wanted to just at least, you know, rip the bandaid off and just jump in and get started. So um, we will start working on our second episode and, and further episodes. And if you guys, you know, please let us know if you guys like this, you want to hear about certain things, you have any questions for Dell or I, you know, please contact us. Um, we'll do a couple plugs. Dad, what is the website for your business? Where can people find you and more information on that? Yeah, it's more of a, it's more of a business website, but there's a, That's okay. a lot of the current things we're doing, the products, the licensing, and also some charity work that we do. Uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, it's Amplify like an amplifier.com e okay. no it's amplify em for entertainment marketing 
www.ecosystemsmanagement.com. Uh, and we up, update it quite regularly. We have some pretty new, exciting things coming. COVID uh, did slow down the film side of what we were doing. We were actually working with Tom Hanks on a movie on Elvis where he played Colonel Tom Parker and both he and his wife got COVID and that Ugh. shut that one down. We were actually- We working. all know that story. What the, the, yeah. the them getting so, COVID story. Uh, on one. the film side, it's picking up again slowly, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of setbacks. But as far as licensing and marketing, Amplify EM, uh, it, dot com, And then of course, the Cool Factor book, which is available at Amazon. Uh, I wouldn't think you would find a bookstores, marketing books don't have quite a shelf life uh, like that, but that would be the places where you can find the information. And we can also talk about, you know, uh, you always send me stuff on Dimebag, you know, and, I'm, and, and just my heart goes out to obviously the family when it happened, but even today, some of the stuff they're going through. And I think it's interesting too, that we can also let our listeners know stories of interest, you know, that are not necessarily connected to everything that we're talking about as far as the backstory, but current stuff, you know, these artists don't, once again, they don't go away, you know, get, you you know, I watched at your prodding. I don't know why it took you to prod me, but I watched get back and it's phenomenal unbelievable to be the fly on the wall and it's music but it's also how did they create and who you know how these guys that were best friends continue at, at doing it and now the Beatles were the best-selling band the past couple months they're number one and then I found out they got knocked off the top of the charts on vinyl by David Bowie <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, really? you know so there are new stories not about the sale of the records but of interest I think on what we're talking about in general that we can connect to stuff that's going on today yeah well cool well i'm so excited i'm excited to yeah to do this with you dad and um you know some of these stories i've heard a few times um you know throughout my life uh but then a lot of these stories they they're still new to me as well so i thought that was you know i'm i'm excited to be able to hear you know certain parts and and stories that i've that i've never heard before either and i'll just, i'm going to be right with the listener hearing them for the first time so um yeah i you know my pleasure holly and thank you so much for making this happen i wouldn't never been able to do it myself you know me yeah yay we're yeah so okay we're so excited so everyone stay tuned stay tuned thank you so much for listening to our first episode uh confessions of a rock and roll zealot you heard it here from my dad on what that means and what the plan is going to be for this podcast we hope you join us for our next episode and going forward and everyone have a wonderful day thanks so much dad thank you everyone